This is the Savvy Investor Radio Podcast with Mike Kinnett, a financial planner and estate planning attorney with a master's degree in taxation, and Ryan Herbert, financial and tax planner and six-time five-star wealth management award winner. Now, the Savvy Investor Podcast. Thanks again for joining us here on the Savvy Investor Podcast. My name is Mike, along with Mike Kinnett and Ryan Herbert. So, guys, we look at the market and we see the volatility. Uh, as investors, we are saving in our 401ks and other retirement accounts. And we see this volatility, but we don't want to take any big losses. So what are we to do now? And, Mike, do you see this volatility uh, being here to stay? Well, volatility is always here. I mean, it's never gone away. If you go through history, if you go all the way back to the early 1900s, basically, on average, we have a, a market drop, a, a more than 20% drop, a, a bear market. We have one about every seven years on average. And the average drop is actually about 39%. So about every seven years, we see almost a 40% drop. So clearly, we have volatility in our system. The market has volatility in it. Mm -hmm. and, and volatility comes from all sorts of things. It's not just because sometimes it's a president saying something, sometimes international things happening. There's all different reasons why we have volatility. And a lot of it is, is the result of emotional decisions that people are making. They panic over things that they shouldn't panic about. They don't panic when they should panic. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of different things that are going on when it comes to the market volatility volatility that are beyond our control. You can't fix the volatility. All you can do is be prepared for it. And we're not going to really delve in today on income planning, but clearly, you know, our, if you've listened to our podcast in the past, we're very big proponents of segregating your money, bifurcating your money, having buckets of money. You know, you always want to have a portion of your money set aside for emergencies, very liquid, very safe, very secure, CDs, treasuries, uh, fixed annuities, something like that, very, very liquid, very, very safe, very, very secure. You're gonna have your income needs, whatever your income needs are, you want to accomplish your income needs by social security, pension if you can get it, and then something as safe and secure with the least amount of risk that you can get by with to create those income streams. So we've taken that money off the table, and we're not, we're not addressing risk to that, volatility to that, because from our perspective, there is no risk, there is no volatility. Now, you can never remove all risk. I get mm -hmm. that. You always have interest rate risk, default risk, all that, but we've minimized that risk by making smart choices, we're using FDIC. If we're using annuities, we're using good solid annuity companies. We're buying treasuries. We're doing the things we can do to make sure that that money that we have to rely on on a day-to-day -day basis is as safe and secure as we can make it be. So excluding that from the conversation, we're really talking about that money. That's the extra money. It's the money out of the stock market. And, and quite frankly, for some people who have chosen to take the path of, I don't worry about my money being safe and secure. I don't need it to be in a place that I can rely on it, that I'm willing to take the ups and downs and the gyrations of the market. My income can be based on those ups and downs. That's the money we're talking about. We're talking about money that is in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, alternative investments. That's the money that we're talking about today. And it's not just the fact that over the last couple of months, we've seen a lot of volatility. It's not just the fact that 2018 was a pretty tough year. It was up and down, up and down, and up and down. And the last quarter of 18 was just absolutely horrible. 19, up, down, up, down. And then, you know, over the last couple of weeks here in August, we've seen a lot more volatility. 
the Federal Reserve has just lowered interest rates and has indicated that they're opening to lowering interest rates again. We're seeing Europe slowing down. Germany actually had negative growth. We are seeing negative interest rates in Europe. Think about that. Banks are paying people to borrow money. If you buy a house in parts of Europe, the bank will pay you money to buy that house. (laughs) Think about that, getting paid to buy a house. We have trade wars with China. We have trade wars with other other parts of the world. There's a lot of things going on in the economy right now. And so we wanted to take this show and talk about some strategies that you might be able to employ, some things that people frequently do. We get questions all the time about should we buy gold when the markets are crashing? Should we be in you know defensive stocks when the markets are crashing or when things are volatile? Should we buy more bonds? What exactly should we do? So we wanted to take a little time and really kind of get into the, the nitty gritty details, really talk about some some of the things that you should consider. Now, I want to emphasize, consider the things that we're talking about. You have to understand how they work. You can't just go out and do because Mike and Ryan said, go do a trail and stop loss. Well, there are ramifications. There are things you need to consider. So we're giving you some information, but you really need to sit down with a professional to make sure you truly understand all the ins and outs of what does it mean to put a call on a position? Should you even do that? We want you to have the tools, but we want to make sure you understand that the stuff we're talking about is not for the faint of heart. This is what professional advisors do for their clients in these volatile markets and things that you should be thinking about. Either A, you're doing them yourselves, or B, you're finding somebody to do them on your behalf. But with the volatile markets we have now, not just today, but even going to the future, we firmly believe that you need to have a strategy of going in and out of the market to protect yourself. Not timing the market, but having a strategy of when you want to be in the market and when you want to be out. For example, the indicators that we were watching in 2008 and 2007 said, there were indicators out there that said, it's time to move. We follow about 25 different indicators. Some of them are economic indicators. Some of them are are, are fundamentals. Some of them are technical. But we follow about 25 indicators, and we're always monitoring these to see which way things are going. The Baltic Dry Index, it's just a measurement of of shipping containers. The VIX, um, that's market volatility, manufacturing, unemployment. There's all sorts of indicators out there that you can look at to help make decisions. But one of the biggest things we get all the time, Brian, is gold. Is gold a good place to hide your money? Is it a good place to be in in general, for volatile times, or if I'm worried that the market's going to crash and the and the federal the federal government's going to collapse and all the banks are going to collapse and I'm buying gold, what's the deal with gold? You know, we have a specific philosophy on it. What do we think? You know, I think that gold is, like you said, a very specific investment. It can be a defensive measure in volatile times, but when it comes to buying. Any type of position, I always like to look at their trend lines and really look at where these positions are trending because if, it, if it's had a negative movement over the past 20 days, 50 days, 100 days, 200 days, those are things you can look at to judge where the price of it might be heading. Now, if you're absolutely petrified of the market, gold is an option out there. But if you're absolutely petrified of the market, you never want to see a negative number. All you want to see is go up. Well, that's not gold. That's not small cap. That's not large cap. That's using an annuity and if you're, or, or treasuries or, or CDs or, or anything like that. And if you think that the U S is going to collapse and the banks are going to collapse and it's, it's best to have gold. Well, the argument there is 
why do you need gold? It's just whoever has the most bullets, toilet paper, and water, that's going to be the person who's going to be in charge of everything. And if you're thinking that I want to buy physical gold, I get this question a lot. What do I think of gold coins? What do I think of buying physical gold? Well, the problem with buying physical gold as an investment, yeah, I get it because the price of gold goes up the more per ounce you get, but you're buying your gold from a dealer. He's going to charge a premium because he has to make money. And then you, once you have the physical gold coins, you can't go to Safeway. You can't go to Walmart. You can't go to Target and spend your physical gold. How do you get that, your, your money out? Because right now, you have to have dollars, not gold. You have to go back to that same dealer who's not going to give you market value. He's going to pay you less money because, yet again, he has to make money. So gold as an investment against market volatility as a or a small portion of portfolio, yes. But also look at other precious metals. You have to look at palladium, look at silver, look at copper. You know, anything that has an industrial use can be a valuable tool because it tends to be a much more defensive measure. And so precious metals are a defensive tool, but again, making sure you use it in the right way makes sense in volatile markets. So should you have some of your money in gold or some other sort of precious metal today? Perhaps, perhaps if, if you are worried that the markets are, are nearing a peak, that we could be in that time period that we talked about, clearly we are 10 years into a bull market. So do we need to be taking a more defensive measure? Well, on our portfolios, we've started to take a little bit more of a defensive measure. We're not out of the market. We're just looking a little bit more at how do we protect the gains that we've had over the last several years so we're not giving them up if, in fact, the markets drop 20, 30, 40%. Now, Ryan, what about other indicators? You know, we hear all the time about the VIX. The VIX is basically just a, a barometer of how nervous people are. So you can look at the, the, the VIX and it's basically based on puts and calls of the market. People betting that the market's going to go down, people betting the market's going to go up. And it's a barometer of how nervous people are. So the higher the VIX is, the more nervous people are. And Basically, anytime you see the VIX go over 25, historically, there's been a drop in the market shortly thereafter. So clearly, watching the VIX could be an indicator that you could use. When it comes to indicators, my advice to people is pick an indicator, pick a few indicators, and just look at those. Don't jump around. Don't listen to Jim Cramer on one day, CNBC on another day, MSNBC, because you're going to get conflicting advice. You know, in all these volatile times, Cramer said... In past, he said that the the inverse of the yield curve has been a sign of a recession, and this time around, he's saying it's not such a bad thing. I saw someone, and I can't remember who they were, they said it's a less good indicator this time around. Less good, more good, you know. I, I, you know. So it really just, you have to have a consistent philosophy. You have to look at the same indicators over and over again. Make sure you understand what they're measuring. Like Mike said, there's so many economic indicators out there. There's so many market indicators out there. One of the the ones that I kind of prefer to look at is called the leading economic indicator. It takes the top 10 economic indicators out there, manufacturing, quit rates, unemployment, consumer confidence, small business optimism, all these indicators together, and it puts them together into a readable chart. And what the chart really shows is once these indicators have hit a peak and started to come back down, historically that has been a signal of a recession about three to six months later. So it's when it comes to indicators, it's finding one 
that you understand, finding one that you're comfortable with and making your decisions based on that. Not making decisions based on the fact that the stock market has dropped 700 points one day and the very next day it's up 350 points. Because volatility, if you make those rash decisions without looking at indicators, without following your strategy, will come back to bite you in the end. Well, what about trailing stop losses and stop losses? Because, I mean, we have clients come in all the time and they talk to us about, well, my advisor has stop loss orders in my portfolio or I just have stop losses in my portfolio. But the reality is, is that stop loss orders do not work the way people think they do for the most part. I mean, certainly they don't work the way they used to work. If you remember back in 2015, August 24th, I only remember August 24th because that's actually my birthday. So August 24th of 2015. And what a birthday present it was. And what a birthday (laughs) present it was. There was what was called a flash crash. There was problems with China's currency and the markets dumped. The markets dumped huge. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you realize this, but the SEC has the ability to shut down the market to try to curtail that volatility, to try to curtail that sudden drop. The SEC has the right to close down the market for intervals. And the SEC on that Monday, August 24th of 2015, shut the markets down for seven seconds at a time over a thousand times during the day. So think about that. In the trading day, they closed that market a thousand times for seven second intervals. And quite honestly, I I didn't even know there was a thousand seven second intervals in a, in a basically a trading day. I was, I was, I had to think about that for a minute, but the problem that happened for people that had stop losses on that day, it's called a flash crash. And, and, and I know I'm painting a picture here, but if you've ever watched any of those movies where those guys are out on the floors, you know, at, at the New York stock exchange and they're screaming, buy, 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 sell, 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 sell. Well, something like that actually happens. It kind of looks like that. And, and the nice thing about the way the efficiencies of the market work, and it really is called market efficiencies, is that there's these traders out there, the people, the middlemen that handle these trades, they have to buy. If somebody wants to sell, there are these traders that are forced to buy. Now, the key part to that is that when they are forced to buy, they're not forced to buy at the price you want to sell at. They are forced to buy, but they can buy at the price they want to purchase at. So think about this. This is just kind of a to, to give you a picture of it. On that day in August, the markets, let's say you had XYZ stock and it was selling at $100 a share and you'd put some sort of order in there that says, look, if it goes down to 90, sell it. I just want to sell it at 90. Then that's called a stop loss order. So we want to adjust for it going up. So if, if it went from 100 to 110, the stop loss would go from 90 to 100. That's called a trailing stop loss. So it adjusts for the growth in the portfolio that you have. But if you had a stop loss in place on that day, this is what happens. The market opened and closed from 100 to 99 to 98. It kept opening and closing, opening and closing, and the price kept dropping, kept dropping. And so when the price got to $90.25, now remember, your stop loss order number, your sell order number was at 90. When it got to 90.25, the market's closed for seven seconds. And during that seven second period, all the buyers were sitting around saying, this is nutso. The next time that stock opens, we're going to offer $50 a share. Well, when it opened, remember it closed at 90.25? When it opened, it opened at 50. That was the next bid. That was the next offer was 50. And so your share sold at $50, not $90, but at 50. And to make matters worse, because it was a flash crash, by the time you got done with Tuesday's recovery, 
you recovered 90% of the money that you would have lost. So had you not sold out, you would have got about 90% of your money back. And that's the problem with having a trailing stop loss. So if you're going to use if you're going to use stop loss orders, you might want to consider how they work. You might think about what numbers you want to use. Is it a trailing stop loss? Is it a risk adjusted stop loss? Is it at a strike point that only if it hits this number? So you can put it in that only sell it at 90. So if it hits at 90, 25, it won't sell. And if it hits at 88, 50, it won't sell. It's only if a strike price is at 90, it sells. That's an option. You can think about that. Now, you can't do this with mutual funds. And if you've ever listened to our program, one of the reasons why Ryan and I don't like mutual funds is they're too expensive. You can't trade them during the day and you pay taxes on them even when you lose money, and you can't protect them. You can't protect them at all like you can with ETFs and individual stocks. So there, there are some ideas out there. You know, Do you use moving averages? Do you use technical indicators? Do you use fundamentals? Do you use economic indicators? All of those are available to us as defensive postures. You know, do you go from small cap stocks into large cap stocks? Because traditionally, small caps are the first to drop but small caps are the first to come out of the recovery, right? So small caps recover first, but they also die first. So one of the indicators you might be watching is, are my small caps going down in value? Because if small caps are going down in value, traditionally, large caps will follow shortly thereafter. So is that an indicator of when to get in and out of the market? Perhaps that's what you want to follow. You know, should you buy gold? Should you buy precious metals? Ryan's point of having a plan, having a strategy in place that says, here's the specific reasons why I buy. Here's the specific reasons why I sell. You want it to be a very, very objective point. You want to have a specific reason why you do what you do. You don't want it to be subjective because then it's all emotional. If it's an emotional buy and sell, you will lose money. Now, I don't promise things very often, but if you react to the markets from an emotional standpoint, I feel comfortable saying it's going to go wrong for you. So have a very, very standard, objectable standard that you can measure and say, this is when I'm going to buy and sell. Now, what about bonds? Are bonds a good place to be? We have concerns about bonds. Do they work the way people think they work? Are they a good defensive strategy? Are there better alternatives to bonds? Clearly, the answer is yes. I mean, from our perspective, about 80% of the time, if you go back through history, about 80% of the time, the stock market outperforms the bond market. So the question is, why would you buy bonds? I mean, when interest rates are going up, bonds lose money traditionally. As interest rates are going down, it means new bonds being issued are being issued at lower and lower payouts. So if 80% of the time you can outperform in the stock market, why would you own a bond at all? If you think you need bonds in your portfolio for defensive positions, well, if bonds are paying 2 to 4%, can't you get a CD paying 2 to 3%? Yeah, you can. You know, if you can buy money market accounts paying 2 to 3%. Well, right now, yes you can. If you can buy fixed index annuities paying, you know, 4 to 6%. Yeah, you can. If you can get fixed annuities paying, you know, 3 plus percent. Yeah, you can. Those are things you should explore in lieu of having bonds. Now, of course, Everything has a pro and con to it. You have to understand how the fee structures work. You have to understand the tax implications of what you're doing. You have to understand the exit strategies. You know, CDs have surrender periods. Annuities have surrender periods. I mean, all these things come into play. But having a sound strategy to protect yourself during these volatile markets only makes sense. It only makes sense to have a strategy that says, look, when the market's dropping 30 and 40%, it does not impact my income. That's important. And two, if the markets are dropping 30 or 40%, 
Why am I taking that exposure? Why am I losing 30 to 40% if I'm into retirement, coming into retirement, already in retirement three to five years? Why would you risk your money to lose 30 to 40%? Why would you not have a defensive strategy in place to protect you during that volatile times? And remember, this happens on average every seven years, and we're 10 years into a bull market. Now, no crystal balls. I'm not saying it's going to happen this week or next week, but from a statistical standpoint, we're more likely to have a drop in the next year or two than we are to see just continued growth after growth after growth. So at the end of the day, you need to have some sort of plan. It should be in writing. You should understand when you want to be in the market, what type of exposure you want to have to the market, how much risk you actually are taking versus how much risk you want to take. It all needs to be spelled out for you so that you can see it in simple black and white so that you can follow a strategy that meets your needs. This is Mike Kinnett. I am an estate planning attorney. I have a master's degree in taxation. I'm a financial planner. My partner, Ryan, is a seven-time five-star wealth management award winner. He's a recent award winner from Forbes of being a top financial planner in Maryland. We have almost 50 years of combined experience taking care of clients in the Baltimore, Washington area. Thank you very much for joining us today on the program. And we hope that this information today makes you a savvy investor. Thanks for listening to the Savvy Investor Radio Podcast, brought to you by ProStatus Financial. For more info on Mike and Ryan, to schedule a consultation or upcoming workshop and radio showtimes, go to thesavvyinvestortv.com. Financial professionals are not licensed in all 50 states. Mike Kinnett and Ryan Herbert are not affiliated with nor endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any other government agency and does not provide legal or tax advice. Investment advisory services offered through ProStatus Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Annuity guarantees rely solely on the financial strength and claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. By contacting us, you may be provided with information about insurance and annuity products. Insurance licensed in Maryland.